0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After Nine on 93.1 CFIS FN. Good morning, Prince George. Neil Godbu, editor in chief of the Prince George Citizen. Happy to be with you this Thursday morning. Happy you're taking the your time to tune in today. I'd like to acknowledge, and I'm going to keep doing it, uh, and I, do, I, I did it when I was president of my Rotary Club a few years ago. Hi, I'd like to I'm acknowledge to that we uh, were really broadcasting, and you're listening to this show on the traditional territory of the today. Later in the show, I'll be chatting with my friend Diane Nakamura about her new column in The Citizen, chronicling her journey with brain injury. My friend is very brave to share her story, and I, I just think it's one every—it's a story everyone should hear. Before I get to my first guest this morning, I would like to chat for a minute about the proposed name for the new Hart High School to replace Kelly Road. Do you hear what I did there? Folks, Kelly Road School is being bulldozed this fall. Your memories of the school, your connection to the people, belong to you as long as you live. No one can take that away from you. A new school is nearly complete, and it happens to be located directly behind the current school, but it could have been built anywhere up the heart. School district could have demolished the current Austin Road Elementary and built the new high school there. That new school... ...will have the Kelly Road athletic banners hanging in the gym. That new school will have the pictures of the graduating Kelly Road classes from years gone by. So why can't the school have a new name? One with a far deeper and richer connection to our history... ...than John Kelly from a hundred years ago... ...who already has a street and a road and a road in Prince George named after him. And actually that would be two roads because everyone who knows the heart knows... ...that there's Kelly Road and North Kelly Road... I get the sentimental attachment. I really do. I live in the heart. I have a daughter currently studying at Kelly Road. She's graduating this year. My wife is a Kelly Road grad. At this point, it's a discussion and I think it's a discussion discussion worth having. And boy did we talk at the dinner table my family and I last night about history and tradition and language and culture and entitlement. Reconciliation. So I I really do applaud Tim Bennett and Trent Derrick and the rest of the school board trustees for initiating this discussion. What is unacceptable? Are the racial slurs being used by so many individuals, especially online, to make their case to apply the, the Kelly Road name to the new school? and and the greatest irony in terms of what i've seen so far is the whole that these are the same people that have that have told indigenous populations things change get over it. Hmm, things change get over it. Why don't we apply that to a new school? If you really care about keeping the name, you'll drop that nonsense in a hurry because all you're doing is making the case for why the name should be changed to educate ignorant racists about the history and the vibrant living culture of the Claytonay and the indigenous peoples of this region. Maybe you can't be saved from your intolerance, but hopefully your kids can. There's a strong case to be made to save the Kelly Road name for the new high school. And those arguments were made without racist attacks by the students who protested outside the school yesterday. The kids are setting the right example. Good for them. Speaking of education and students... My first guest this morning is Sheldon Clare, an English and history instructor at the College of New Caledonia. Good
1: morning, Sheldon. Good morning, Neil. Glad to be here.
0: And I bet you think everything I just said is a big load of crap.
1: (laughs) You taught at Kelly Road at one time. I I, I was a substitute teacher up at Kelly Road for a a while. I I have some stories and adventures from there, but it would take a while to relate. But I, I... do think that the decision made by the school board was done in haste. I think it was done uh, with probably pure motives, but I think that we're seeing a lot of these sorts of changes that are not really sitting very well with people who have an attachment to these areas, and they are... I think rightfully upset about this. I think I, I saw an online petition. I think it had over seventy five hundred names on it when I last looked. And it, I it, bet it's higher than that now. It,
0: it, it, it has certainly caught the attention of, of many individuals. Uh, I, personally, I, I do think the timing was terrible. Uh, I, I the, the the school district received the funding from the province in twenty seventeen. Uh, it was announced that they were getting the forty four point three million to build a new school. Uh, at that time, I. Think Think that would have been the time to initiate a discussion about possibly changing
1: the name. Yes, and I, I, I think with the uh, things that are going along now with the Wet'suwet'en and the blockades, with with from people who have nothing whatsoever to do with the Wet'suwet'en or their issues, I think this is opening up a whole discussion about what reconciliation is and what it means. And I, I think that reconciliation is being misinterpreted by a lot of people because uh, one of the things that's said is it's supposed to be about truth and reconciliation. And I think truth is going out the window pretty quickly. And reconciliation, I think, it needs to be understood that it really has to deal with multiple groups and multiple cultures. And it, reconciliation should never have been ever about tearing down one group's culture to promote that of another. And I think that's where people get pretty offended—is this but, idea? But, that, but
0: aren't we surrounded by white culture? Can't we surrender the name? Well, well if, but, if, if that if we are demolishing an existing high school named after an individual that already has a street and a road named after. Well, I,
1: I can't, think, can't the, I think we the
0: problem is with your. Pre- that? I
1: think the premise is white culture is a flawed place to start. I think if you start looking at the rich history of Canada from people who were here originally, who emigrated here. I have ancestors that arrived here with. General Wolfe and the, and uh, an army and the seventy eighth frasers were yeah, yeah, down to and and on. Yeah, I know
0: you conquered you yeah. conquered my people at the Battle of Montreal <laughs> and yes, Quebec. Yes,
1: Neil, we did <laughs> quite handily, so I must say. But uh, I, I think that there needs to be an understanding that there are those divisions in so called white culture. There is a, a, a perception of it's, two it's founding, not this homogenous thing. No, no, it is definitely not. You have the French, you have the British, you have the Germans, you have Ukrainians, you have uh, Mennonites and Hutterites and Doukhobors and so many other peoples from all around the world who came to Canada to seek opportunities and found them here. And I think that to to start uh, taking those down under a grand homogenous term of white culture, I think is a huge mistake. I think that that is denying Canadian history. And I think that is really... A, a grave error that we're all being faced with. I mean, the the blockades we're seeing on the railways right now are. A symptom of a bigger problem in this country that we are not dealing with very well. We have a, we have a left versus right political problem in this country. We have uh, people rural who are, versus urban, I would say. In some cases, rural versus urban is a thing. I was in Calgary on the weekend speaking at the Progressive Group of Independent Business on their Take Back City Hall conference, and I was talking about political activism, getting people involved, and I was going over Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals with them, because they'd never heard this before, because right. it's well known in the left, but it's not well known in the right at all. And it's about street fighting your way to success in, in many respects. So I thought the whole thing was quite ironic. I got a lot of ask, requests for copies of my speech. But following me in that presentation was a Conservative Party leadership candidate, Dr. Lewis. And she was a very soft-spoken lady who is, clearly has strong conviction. And she got some applause from anything she said in her presentation. But the thing that shocked me is when she said that she would work hard for Canadian unity and to make this a strong, great country, she got about four or five people in the entire room of a few hundred people clapping. I was one of them. There was a retired member of Parliament, Rob Anders. I saw him clapping, and there were a few others scattered around the room. But other than that, it was stony silence. And I think if people uh, are confused or or taking Wexit or Alberta independence lightly, they're making a huge mistake. Because all of these things, resource extraction, uh, climate change, uh, the issue of whether it's man-made or whether it's natural and there's not much you can do about it, and how how you deal with all of those issues. I think that these matters need to be taken very, very seriously. And we have right now a federal government that is not taking anything very seriously except for virtue signaling, shame blaming, and going against what appears to be the great wishes of the majority of the Canadian population.
0: Uh, to me and, and uh, I, I mean i 've already seen that people have called this the Kelly Road name change a tempest in a teapot and, and I suppose on one level it really is but it but it's it 's a symptom of a bigger problem but but i, I and that and that 's what I was getting at is is that it really is a symptom of, of a bigger problem and i and I would say problems and one of those problems seems to be that in this age of social media or anti social media um we have just seemed to lost the ability, or or maybe I'm romanticizing the past, but we seem to have lost the ability to speak to each other civilly
1: and to disagree with each other respectfully. Respectfully. I agree with you, Neil, I, I and we're, we're from the same generation, basically, and I I lament the fact that we, we've seen this change. I know I, my daughters love their cell phones, I, but I also remember my sister loved the phone uh, and would hang on that as it teenager all the time you couldn't get you couldn 't get access to make an emergency call because it was it was so important to be talking about some things that were were you know less important to right. those who were not engaged in the conversation but I do think there is a lack of respect people when they 're sitting in their basement with a bag of cheesies looking at their computer screen feel a lot or or their mobile phone as the case may be uh, feel a lot more free to say whatever they think without thinking of the consequences or ramifications of their words and actions and I think that there do they're, You're right. There does need to be a respectful conversation about things like name changes, but they cannot be top-down actions. As this has been, or for that matter, the change from Fort George Park to Clayley Today Memorial Park. These, this was done top-down without engaging large numbers of people who have attachments and are otherwise affected by such things. You Isn't have it? to have. You have to engage people in this and have a conversation. You can't just impose it. That's really colonialism, isn't it?
0: <laughs> you, and, and you and I are actually dealing with a, a, a bit of a top down uh, thing right now in terms of uh, uh, simultaneously unknown to each other until quite a bit fr- down the process uh, um, when the uh, When the remains were discovered in Claytonne Memorial Park, uh, when the pavilion was being built, uh, there was an archaeological report done on those remains. Uh, The citizen tried to get access to them and was denied. We filed a Freedom of Information request, also denied. We appealed. Lo and behold,
1: I was doing the same thing. the process, yes. you
0: were doing the same thing. Of course, we were coming at it journalistically. You've come at it academically.
1: That's quite true. I mean, I, I read your, some of your materials, and you've looked at some of mine. And my, my approach to this has been that uh, it's important for people to know their history. And I think it's important for that history to be full and open and transparent. I think that there are questions about who's buried in Fort George Park that need to be answered and deserve to be heard by everyone. And f- from my perspective, I teach local history, as well as British Columbia history, world history, Canadian history, military history. And I-, I I know that when you have a body found on a battlefield in Europe, there are great efforts made to identify who that person is and give them their name and give them their identity. And it seems to me that while there are cultural sensitivities about such things, uh, there are also... Uh, historical facts about how bodies were treated, cremated, buried, and so on by different groups of peoples. And there are questions about this that deserve to be in the public eye.
0: And and of course, and you and I have had this discussion uh, very much. uh, I argue the case on behalf of the citizen that this is a matter of high public interest. And we simply want to exercise our charter right to report on a matter of high public interest in terms of who were these people? We know that a report has been done that, to some degree, 301 pages, so we know it's a significant document that was done to study these remains. And wouldn't it be great to share with the public and educate people, potentially, on, again, whether, right, who were these people? Where did they come from? What is their story? That's, that's the story uh, that's we right. want
1: to tell. History deserves to be told. And if, it, it comes back again to what I said about truth and reconciliation. We cannot be burying and hiding the truth. We need, If we tr- tr- truly want reconciliation, it is not a one-way thing where tactics of, of racial slurs are thrown by both sides or shame-blaming is part of, of, the, of the matter or you, you, you hear uh, misappropriation of the truth to promote a particular agenda from any party involved. You need to have the story told with as much of the facts laid bare as possible. You and I very much agree on the value of right. journalism in that respect, as well as on education. I, I think that hiding information is a great way to cause more and more anger. That I agree with you. Uh, just to update everyone, so here's what's happening
0: in the process. As I said, there's an appeal before the Information and Privacy Commissioner. Uh, the, the province has already filed their legal brief. They are actually the principal party. They are the owners of the archaeological report. The Claytley Tene is a third party. Uh, they are next to file a submission. Um, and. Uh, I believe you've already filed oh, yeah, I, 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 I filed I, mine, yes I, I, I asked for a delay uh, partly because I wanted to see the Clayley submission and partly because I'm going on holiday next month with my family for spring break uh, uh, going out of province and then out of country and so I wanted uh, <laughs> as much time as possible to file a thoughtful response the province has a lawyer I presume the Clayley have a t- lawyer you have a lawyer, Sheldon? No, and I don't I, have a lawyer I,
1: I, either. I, I, just, I, actually, I actually asked the, the college about providing a lawyer, but I had ba- basically was met with stony silence about this. They, they, I think there's, this is seen in many respects as a political issue, uh, and I think that's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. I, I think, it, it, I think this, is, this is actually about truth, and it's about reconciliation. And you don't get to truth or reconciliation without the facts.
0: And, and part of the reason why I'm interested in, in waiting for the for the Clayley t- submission is. Is that I, I'm I'm perhaps naively optimistic, but I, I would be thrilled. To, uh, to, uh, I, I would like to leave open the door the possibility that that the Clayley submission is that we think that uh, part or all of the report should be released. That maybe they'd say, okay, well, there's some sensitive stuff over here that please leave that alone, but the. The bulk of the report, or some of the report, could be released, and so I'm hopeful, cautiously, perhaps naively optimistic that that that's what their submission. Will well,
1: say. I, I think the the the, thi- the the difficult and thorny thing about truth is it has a way of coming out, regardless right. of whose truth it is or where it comes from, and I, I, I suspect that there are issues in there that are uncomfortable truths, right. and I think that th- that is. Unfortunate, But history is full of uncomfortable truths. And I believe that these uncomfortable truths deserve their place in our collective story, just as they do with anybody else's. And,
0: and certainly from my standpoint, journalistically, I'm, I'm, I'm not very happy. Uh, to to just grant the provincial government this blanket censorship, censorship that basically and that seems to be. I, I, I'm going to read their legal piece as well as I can over the weekend. Uh, but their legal submission seems to be that that in any circumstance about any topic, if if there is a a First Nations component for it, that therefore that is uh, uh, that is uh, you know off the table in terms of. Uh, something to consider. Sheldon, it's been great having you uh, with us this morning. I appreciate you coming in. I know you've got to dash off to another appointment, so I'm going to let you go and we'll be right back with Diane Nakamura. Thank you very much, Neil. You're listening to after nine on Prince George's community station, 93.1 CFIS FM. We're back with my good friend, Diane Nakamura who has a column in The Citizen this week. Welcome back to newspaper writing. It's great to have you back, Diane. Thank you, Neil. Your column, uh, it's very personal. I think it's very brave, talking about brain injury and specifically what happened to you. So what did happen?
2: Well, um, uh, on October 29th, 2018, I was walking downtown on a Monday afternoon and... A guy came from behind me and tried to steal my purse, and I wouldn't let him have it, so um, I tried to fight him off as long as I could, and I ended up falling and smashing the back of my head on the sidewalk, and I don't know how I fell, um, but that that's, that's the start of my journey.
0: Right. What are you... What are you hoping to, having a regular column in The Citizen, and it's in this week's Citizen, I also put it online this morning, what are you hoping to communicate to people about brain injury?
2: Well, having a brain injury now, I realize how many people have no idea about brain injuries. And even a lot of medical professionals don't know a lot about it. And it, it's very misunderstood um, I can't do a whole lot of activity in a day. Um, and a lot of brain injured people, or I would say all of them can only do a fraction of what they were capable of doing before. So we get labeled lazy. Um, what's the matter with you? You know, why, why aren't you back to work? And the thing is, is that having an invisible disability causes a lot of um, upset and confusion and so I, to the best of my ability, want to um, get information and awareness out in the community about brain injuries and what it does to people. And not only the person that has a brain injury, but how it impacts the people around them.
0: That, that must be difficult to, for, for people and, and even well-meaning friends, acquaintances who have known you for many years to maybe openly uh, and unintentionally say, you know, I miss miss the old Diane. You probably miss the old Diane too. I but, do. But this is the new normal for you.
2: Yes, it is the new normal. I've even had people tell me, um, I don't like how you are now. I want the old Diane back.
0: And, and you would probably give anything to have that person back.
2: I, I would, um, but also um, I've realized that Maybe the life that I had before wasn't all that great.
0: And, and, and this is an opportunity to maybe refocus and...
2: Yes, definitely. G-
0: a new path.
2: Yes, indeed. I,
0: um, it, it's a painful one. It's a challenging one, but, but it is a new path.
2: Yeah, it's, it, it has been very painful, I'm not going to lie. Um, there have been some very dark moments in the last year and a half. But at the same time, um, there's been some joy You know, and when I contacted you to ask if I could write a column for The Citizen, that was on one of those dark days that I felt really unproductive. I felt like I had no purpose in life. And I thought, well, I used to write for The Citizen. Maybe I could write for them again. Right. And you were so awesome enough to embrace my idea so my column came I, out today,
0: and and, and 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 I'm so happy you you reached out and had the courage to reach out because I'm sure that wasn't easy. And so I, I really appreciate you doing that. And and I, I just we we saw this and uh, the citizen uh, Samantha Wright Allen when she was with us with the citizen actually did some life after Lakeland after Lakeland happened, and uh, many of the individuals who were hurt is their physical injuries healed. Uh, but their brain injuries did not.
2: Yeah, and yeah. that's another misconception, Neil, is that, oh, you didn't hit your head, so how did you get a concussion or how did you get a brain injury? Um, but those poor folks from Lakeland, um, they are suffering with brain injury probably for the rest of their lives.
0: Right. I, I, I know an absolute valuable resource to these individuals and to you has been the Prince George Brain Injured Group. Uh, how How is that? journey been for you
2: well um out of all the support people in my life for the past year and a half um, big has been my lifeline um they run groups information groups on like what is a brain injury the effects you know and how to rebuild your life i have a wonderful case manager there and it's like being a part of a family and i feel normal there whereas most other places i don't
0: right uh i I know both in your past and current lives you're a very strong proponent of peer support and and i think that's what you're telling me is that the peer support is really there and i guess this is an opportunity for you to both receive help but also be a mentor And, and and i know that's something you've you've valued throughout your life
2: yes well that's for sure neil um So opportunities like this, like coming on your show and having a column, it makes me realize that I haven't lost myself. You know what I mean? Like there are still aspects about me that I still have.
0: Right. So
2: that's really comforting. The
0: communicator, the mentorship, and and wanting the best for people. Yes. That's that's, that's the core, Diane, I know.
2: Thanks, Neil. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Talk to me about. I, you started off just talking about right the daily challenges and and the, and the fact that your sort of ability to focus, uh, your, your stamina certainly through the day is is it, it's challenging. Walk me through a, a, a typical day.
2: Okay, so this morning, I woke up early so I could be here on time. So I'm having this interview with you. And then after this interview, I'm going to a, a group at Big at the Brain Injured Group. And that will be my day. I'll be toast by by noon. Right. Because my fatigue is just so extreme.
0: So you'll go home? I mean, is that is that sleep or is that just, uh, you know, taking out all of the sensory stimulus and just being in a quiet... Sitting quietly, resting, Uh, what's that look like?
2: Well, um, I could be in bed having a nap or just sitting in the living room, no no TV, no electronics, just sitting there and just kind of decompressing from my overstimulation, which before was not a big deal because I used to work 60 hours a week and do grocery shopping, you know, household chores on top of that. Right. Yeah. And now one shopping trip, one grocery shopping trip would be the only thing that I'd be able to do in a day.
0: When you and I had lunch a a few weeks ago at the Native Friendship Center and the fire alarm went off and I know enough about brain injury to know that noise, particularly loud piercing noises like a fire alarm, can be very difficult what happened to the rest of your day because of that?
2: Well, um, I felt like an ice pick was going through my head um, because of that alarm. And after we had lunch, I went home and I had a three-hour nap, Neil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and and that's just what you needed to do to, yeah. to move forward. Um, Diane, thank you for coming in today and sharing a little bit of your story, and I can't wait for your future columns uh, in The Citizen. I, I think it's going to be uh, inspirational, and I know, as usual, you're going to touch people that you don't know uh, and hopefully inspire them and motivate them to, to do that self-care and uh and to, to let them know, of course, that there is help for them and there is support out there for them in the community, starting with the Brain Injured Group.
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity, Neil. You are part of my healing treatment plan.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I'm happy to hear that. Uh, we will be right back with uh, an additional guest, Sabina Dennis. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Well, I am a total silly monkey. Uh, apparently, I can't read a clock. Is that Sabina Dennis is coming on at 9.40, and it is 9.32. The good news is that means I have Diane Nakamura with me for another seven or eight minutes. So this is fantastic. Uh, um, I, I, I want to tap into your your long experience in social work, your long experience working with First Nations. Um, Right, and and this whole truth and reconciliation. We talked a little bit about that uh, with Sheldon Clare before you came on. Um, And and so the Kelly Road name change is certainly, I think, although a a very small uh, part of that. But uh, when you first heard about that proposal, what did you think?
2: I thought it was a fabulous idea. This is, like you said, part of Truth and Reconciliation, and it's not a big deal. It's a very easy name to remember, Shast- Shasti, and it's very similar to the renaming of Fort George Park, which is now clearly to name Memorial Park. Um, I don't understand why people
0: are so angry and upset. It, uh, it, uh, I... I, I I, I guess I get a little bit. I mean, I, as I, I I said in in my opener at the show, I'm I I have a daughter that's graduating from Kelly Road this year. My wife's a Kelly Road grad. Uh, there, there's some sentiment there. There's some attachment to the name. It, the name resonates with them, and, and so we had a very interesting conversation last night that that revolved around history and tradition and culture, but also you know what what does entitlement look like? What does reconciliation look like? And. The other thing is, I have a niece that is going to be uh, going to Kelly to, to the New Kelly Road uh, in the fall, and, and she's she's an athlete. She plays volleyball, and I, I, I put it to my to my daughter is that, well, what's wrong with the the idea of you know? Wouldn't it be great for her to be traveling in a tournament somewhere? And oh, Shasti, well, what's what's that name name mean? Oh, it's well, Grizzly Path, Grizzly Trail. Wow, that's a cool name. That's how I, I think people outside the community. If anything, I think we're a little too close to this. Mm-hmm. And I think people outside the community would hear that name of the school. Shasti Secondary. What's Shasti mean? And and I think most students would go to the school and have a, a an understanding of, of the name and what it means. And I think most people, hey, that's really cool. Grizzly, Grizzly Trail, fantastic.
2: Well, you know what? People don't like change, generally speaking. Um... However, I feel that in the spirit of true reconciliation, that this is the right thing to do.
0: And, and the right time to do it. Yes. It's the building of a new school. It's the, the, the Kelly Road, as we know it, will we'll go under a bulldozer later this year, once the new school opens in September. And so I think this is a great opportunity to do something like this um it uh although like i like i said i think this uh, some of the students uh did make a in in their demonstration in front of the school uh my daughter was one of those people because right mom graduated from that school i want to graduate i mean she will graduate from kelly road but she may end up being the the last kelly road graduate um but it, it it i are, are we too attached to things that way?
2: I th- I think we are attached to things because it brings back good memories, you know, of high school. Um, I graduated from Kolumnitza in Williams Lake. I believe that Kolumnitza might be a First Nations name. I'm not sure. I should know this, but e- even if they were to change the name of that high school... Mm-hmm to a First Nations name, I wouldn't have a problem with it.
0: I graduated from George Elliott Secondary in Winfield, just north of Kelowna. That, that's actually an interesting one because Winfield, at the time I graduated, 1986, I'm dating myself, <laughs> Winfield doesn't exist anymore. It's called Lake Country. There's actually a municipality. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's made up of what was then Winfield Okanagan Center and Oyama. Lake Country that the actual name of the community changed. Uh, George Elliott, our our, our, our team name, was the Dominoes. And the Dominoes, because the school colors were black and white. Um, and then a pizza chain came along. And so someone in their wisdom decided to change the name to the George Elliott Coyotes. Um I, I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, those of us of a generation used to call to Gwaii the Queen Charlotte Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've gone through all sorts of, of name changes, um, and, and of course, we live in a country, Canada. That's an indigenous word, and we have the capital of our country, Ottawa. Uh, so, so I I, I don't. I, I don't see sort of what the threat is to uh, whether we call it white culture, settler culture, whatever we want to call it. I think we can agree that that overall white culture, and I know Sheldon didn't like that term uh, because it's not as homogenous as, as I'm suggesting, but that 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 white culture can can handle. Uh, the name Kelly Road disappearing, and Shasti Secondary replacing it with a new building?
2: I think that it's kind of like bad timing for the um, Shasti name change proposal because of the issue with the blockade. So I think that people are getting all ramped up. Um, I've seen some horrible comments um, on social media and it's like wow you know like and some of these people i know and it's like wow well,
0: you're like this well and 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 the other thing too is that and and, and that's what i said at the opening of the show that there's no reason to go there that the, the 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 kids who were protesting in front of the school were so eloquent i mean one of the arguments they made and it is a legitimate argument is that both school board trustees and administrators at the school uh have had earlier made it quite clear that the new school would be called Kelly Road. And now sort of at the 11th hour, here's this proposal. And so they're feeling a little bit maybe betrayed is, is too strong a word, but they're certainly feeling that well, wait a sec. Some words were said, and now, sort of, it's going back on that. And
2: uh, and so, for that reason,
0: I can understand how people would be upset, right? But but then, then there's no reason for racial slurs. No, absolutely not. Right. And so it's, uh, yeah. And and and, and that's. I, I was so upset driving home. Uh, last night because i I saw a lot of the comments on on facebook for for the people who were upset uh with 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 us at the citizen for closing comments on stories um folks that's why is is the comments got really ugly yeah and 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 i don't i i can't police that all day and uh you know people that wrap themselves in the freedom of speech thing well sorry, but hate speech is not free it's a crime uh, and so we have to be very careful of that and if we host it on our site uh, we're condoning it that's right. so so that's why I had to close those threads uh, and um yeah so that's uh that's that um Diane thank you I, i'll I'll say goodbye to you again <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll be right back with Sabina Dennis. It's After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back, and my next guest is Sabina Dennis, who I know has been very active, uh, involved uh, with uh, the current uh, protests happening out west uh, with the Witsutin. And I, I wanted to get a little bit of an update and a perspective from Sabina. So good morning. Good morning. Uh, So what's happening uh, out west right now? I I I think everyone has maybe been distracted with with what's happening nationally, and and maybe we've all been losing perspective on on what is happening uh, in the area.
3: Well, right now the hereditary chiefs are meeting with the provincial government. Um, Yesterday talks were stopped and halted due to um, requests that were not viable for the the Wet'suwet'en to um, adhere to, so they were talks were um, halted abruptly, and uh, are resuming today. And and um, yeah, we're hoping to see some some more resolve today.
0: Uh, is, is this meeting ha- have all of the hereditary chiefs? I, I know there's been some media reporting that there mm. are some chiefs that are in support of the coastal gas link pipeline and, and of course there there are others that are against. Is, is this all of the hereditary chiefs?
3: Um, I believe it is the all of the head chiefs of each clan um, are there and have been fully opposed to the CGL pipeline since the beginning. Um, There are other chiefs, uh, wing chiefs, that may be um, in favour of the CGL pipeline, but um, as far as the head leadership goes and the true uh, hereditary say in the matter, the five head chiefs are all consecutively in agreement that uh, they don't want CGL in the territory and they want the RCMP out of the territory as well
0: so so what is that what you're hoping comes out of the out of the talks today or, or is, are there other things on the table as well
3: um, I think that uh, the main concern is the RCMP enforcement and patrolling that's going on on the territories right now um, and of course that CGL has been evicted by the Witswood and hereditary chiefs Um, in January, and they haven't uh, backed down from that initial uh, statement that they made. And so that still stands. And so, yeah, that's the hope for the talks, I would say, is that the uh, government and industry and RCMP pull out of the territories as soon as possible would be the most beneficial for Canada at this point.
0: Right. Um, I, I saw some reporting. It was actually some very good reporting from uh, Andrew Curiato with uh, with with CBC Radio, uh, talking about that the her- the hereditary chiefs uh, in question uh, in opposition to the to the current uh, uh, path proposed uh, for the Coastal gas link pipeline had had suggested an alternative, and that was rejected. Is is that the case?
3: Um, from what I understand there was uh, uh, discussions of possible routes that could be um, ideas that were uh, rejected by coastal gas link immediately so they didn't seem to want to consider an optional route
0: right um, right okay um, what uh, if I, I i don't I don't want to deal too much with hypotheticals but if 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 talks don't go well today, what's next?
3: I would say that um, we are at a, uh, a point where we have to continue to to show the Canadian government and um, industry that we cannot uh, just lay down and, and take it from them anymore because... The thing is, is that the land, the cumulative effects upon our lands are way too great to sustain all of these industrial projects being imposed upon them. And it really is an urgent matter. And it's it's obvious that all across Canada, the same level of urgency is um, is apparent when bands and nations all across Canada are standing up for the Wet'suwet'en, but it's also standing up for their own sovereign rights to maintain a level of uh, safety upon their territories and and to be able to provide a safe haven for their future generations. It's, It's really become apparent that Canada is going to have to stop their idea that taking is is no longer acceptable to First Nations and to even um, Canadian citizens. You know um, this principle of that our land bases are for resource extraction alone. Is that ideology is shifting to a global consciousness that we have to protect our resources and our waters and our animals.
0: Uh, what, what do you what do you say to the arguments that are that are made that that I mean as far as, as this specific project the the coastal gas link pipeline that that it's natural gas it's not uh, uh, it's not raw oil and that and that the benefits uh, yes of course there's a, there's an impact uh, on, on the land but that that the benefits actually far out exceed uh, um, uh, the negative sides and and that this is an opportunity for uh, for all of the First Nations in the area to to uh, have the economic opportunities but then with those economic opportunities the educational opportunities the employment opportunities what do you say when people bring up that argument?
3: Well I feel like it's it's uh Propaganda that basically builds those type of um, narratives for us. And uh, as First Nations people, we know that it's going to take a lot more than um, one industry handout to solve the issues of poverty. And uh, there's no way that it's going to take Indigenous people out of poverty. Um, and also, the negative effects from fl- fracking itself are uh, so destructive to the environment and to the water and to the land-based um, upstream, where the tar sands and uh, the fracking, uh, especially all the fracking wells that are thousands and thousands of them, even within BC up north and and um, in Alberta, they are uh, they're so destructive and and not only um, does it. It, it pollute the waterways, but it also creates a, a lot more CO2 emissions in in the fact that they're burning these wells. Um, the the offset gas is always constantly burning, and people just need to do a li- a little more research and edu- educate themselves on um, the effects of <laughs> fracking and the extraction methods that actually are not reducing emissions. In fact, it's it's um, just as destructive as other oil products are, and I just really feel like people need to educate themselves more. And go ahead.
0: Sabina, we, uh, we do have to take a short break. When we come back, I do want to uh, ask you more about this because we, we, we've, you, you've, we've strayed from, I guess, the sovereignty and land rights issue into some of the environmental issues, and I do want to explore those, and we will do that when we're right back. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS FM. We're back with S- Sabina Dennis. Sabina, you, you, were, you, uh, you were talking about the, the environmental concerns as well as the the, the land rights concerns uh, of the Witsuiton, and, uh, and particularly the hereditary chiefs in opposition of the Coastal GasLink Pipeline. What about the argument made, and, and I have heard this, this argument made uh, uh, in several places, that, that bringing up issues like frack, fracking is that, well, that, that's not going to affect the, the, the witsutan It's just a pipeline going through your territory. The fracking is happening uh, elsewhere.
3: Um, I definitely disagree with um, people who seem to think that it's an internal struggle. Because um, the fracking that's happening is happening to uh, First Nations people who are living in poverty already, and they're faced with being now being um, their lands being poisoned to the point where they have to move off of their territories. And to me, it's an issue about um, a human rights issue, and that means that it's all Canadians' issue. Once it's become a human rights issue, it should be all of our concern what's happening. on those reservations, mostly where uh, a lot of the the destruction upon the lands is occurring. Um, uh,
0: You you mentioned uh, a divided community, and certainly there has been uh, a lot of reporting out in the mainstream media uh, and elsewhere uh, that that, that there are many people in the Wet'suwet'en community who just kind of wish that, uh, you know, the outsiders would, would quit meddling and let the Wet'suwet'en kind of solve this internally. Is is is, is that accurate or is there a different narrative?
3: Um, I believe that um, because of the RCMP enforcement upon the territories and uh, the lack of respect uh, from the government in, in giving the true authority to, Indigenous people. I believe that it's become um, an issue that is all across Canada, especially in BC where we're in treaty processes right now as we speak um, to try to resolve land issues with Canada. And it just proves that we're unseated nations when Canada is, is in a treaty process with us. It proves our right and our title
0: if, if coastal gas link were to start all this process all over again, and, and and again, forgive me for the the if and bringing up the hypothetical. If if Coastal GasLink were were at the very beginning of this pro- process, no no permits issued, nothing. Uh, right, they just have a plan, they have a, a potential route, um, and and we're starting the process of reaching out uh, to First Nations re- uh, along the route, reaching out to Witsu, the Witsutan How would, and they had asked you, Sabina Dennis, tell us how we should do this consultation. What would you have told them?
3: I think that uh, the whole way that the Coastal Gas Link um, negotiates with First Nations is, is really quite illegal. Like many of the bands were coerced into signing agreements being told that uh, if they don't sign, that they're going to miss out on this money and that the company will do it anyway. And so I believe that if this project were to start from scratch, it would have to be reformatted to suit the Indigenous narrative, which is our concerns start on the land. And the effects of from upstream to downstream, our concerns our, for our future generations. So, we have a lot to consider, not just a certain group of people, like, uh, for instance, uh, band membership or even chief and council themselves, being able to make a decision that can affect future generations. So, the whole system would have to be reformatted to get answers from Indigenous people and to have true um, consultation with Indigenous people. So that was never done
0: right but but uh, with sabina i've I, i've also heard interviews with with uh, uh you know various uh chiefs and band counselors uh, along the route who not only did you know, didn't say they were they were coerced, but also say that they 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 actually signed the deal with Coastal GasLink because they are thinking of future generations. They are thinking of, of the youth and the opportunities to lift themselves out of poverty, to be educated, to be to be em, em, employed. Uh, what's your response to them?
3: Um, I'd like to say to. To those chiefs and councils like yes they're doing what they feel is uh, providing the most they can for an impoverished nation at this time that's really understandable people really are living without drinking water but the thing is is that they're looking at short-term money handouts and what our nations need to really thrive and lift ourselves out of poverty is real sustainable economy based off of our lands and resources that could not only sustain our economy, but also protect our environment. And the thing is, is that the chief and councils are not really looking at the big picture and the long-term goals, the Paris Agreement, the, um, all of the different aspects that are happening globally right now that are intertwined in, in the fact that corporations have taken over the rule of, of law, basically, in Canada.
0: L- last question, Sabina. and I'm only going to give you about 20 seconds or so to answer it. I'm, I'm sorry about that. We are drawing near the top of the hour. How, what has been the, the role of Facebook and social media in terms of you reaching out to, to like-minded individuals uh, across the region and, and even across the country?
3: Well, I feel like it's been um, a real way that First Nations and all people can get um, stories out from their perspective. So it is really a helpful tool in in having uh, our say uh, and a voice because often media spin stories to suit uh, the narrative of industry. and And that really gives us a platform to be able to speak our minds freely and get get our, our true voices heard.
0: Sabina, thank you for taking the time to talk to us this morning. That's been Sabina Dennis. Uh, I'd also like to thank uh, my earlier guests, Diane Nakamura and Sheldon Clare. Uh, tune in to Blues Roadhouse Saturday 2 to 4 with your host Michael Cass for a chance to win a Kenny Blues Boss Wayne CD. That's all for me. I'll be back uh, with After 9 in 7 days.